0: Hello, I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, and you're listening to a podcast of the last public appearance of Sir Peter Williams QC, recorded live at our May 2015 event. Sir Peter was one of this country's legal legends, with a lifelong commitment to the law and involvement in some of this country's major criminal cases. He also spent a life championing penal reform. He's in conversation with Bill Ralston, and we hope you enjoy this session.
1: Uh, Where do you want me? Peter, will pop you in here. Yep. Peter, as you probably know, is a little bit crook. <laughs> but surprisingly perky. Very perky. <laughs> well, we've got your wife here, here this morning to provide support Support for me in case that wild Irish dan gets up at any point.
0: (laughs) Gotta watch those Irish. (laughs) (laughs) We're here
1: not just to talk about Peter's book, The Dwarf Who Moved and Other Remarkable Tales from A Life in the Law, but we're also here I think to celebrate his lifetime of work in the law and what he's contributed to New Zealand over eighty years now, isn't it? Of life. Sometimes feels actually longer. What I liked about the book is I've always wondered where you got your sense of justice from or or your interest and your your passion for fighting injustice. And I think I got it in that chapter very early in the book where you talk about floating down a river finding a decrepit, derelict old bicycle under a bridge.
0: Yeah, I I think it's a a metamorphosis Um, that developed. Um, Of course, when you come out of law school... You're mainly concerned with trying to make a quid. Um, and the, but on the other hand, the sense of justice is there uh, and it gnaws away. And uh, with me, to be quite frank with you, it's still there. And when I see or hear of injustice, I get very, very angry. And I believe uh, in equality before the law. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, progress that's to be made. It should not be a wealthy man's advantage. And uh, legal aid, of course, is pathetic. Uh, and uh, there's a great need for equality before the law. We see the, you know, the blind person with the scales. Uh, that should be a reality. Uh, e- everyone who enters a courtroom should get a fair trial and an equal trial. And uh, we've got a long way to go.
1: We have particularly when I read some of those accounts that you talk about in the book of, of the treatment of some of your defendants by the police yeah. and by the justice system. Why, just before we get into that, though, why did you choose criminal law as opposed to civil? You know, you could have been a great litigator, commercial litigator. You would have made a lot more money, I suspect, too.
0: Oh, well, you go the way, and there's a lot of luck in life, and you go along a path, and you meet people, and you're influenced, and some of that... Uh, reasons for that are outlined in some of the stories, uh, particularly uh, perhaps the story about the um, you know, stockbroker who was uh, uh, found having sexual intercourse in the safe with his secretary. <laughs> um, yes, but I remember that bit. <laughs> and the, the, you know, the discussions I had with elderly lawyers. And you come to a crossroad and there are various ways you can go. You could chase the money and spend your life looking at prospectuses and looking at balance sheets and um, working out how to make some money and joining the um, racing club and all that sort of thing, becoming a fancy dandy around the place uh, with a Rolls Royce. (laughs) Uh, Or you can say to yourself, no, I I want a vocation. I want something to strive for. And uh, as a very, very young lawyer, I wandered over to the Kitchener Street Courts and I acted for all the vagabonds and the prostitutes and the sly groggers and bookmakers, and I found myself at home, really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we talking about that sense of justice, sense of justice of yours. You know, your parents obviously played a huge part in that, in giving oh, you moral...
0: I, I was blessed by wonderful parents, and. This love at an early age is so important. It's absolutely so important. And when you're brought up by a mother and a father, they're not separated and they love each other and they give you love. Uh, I came from a very modest home, a rented house, and my father was a poorly paid schoolteacher. The, the carpets were threadbare and the furniture was very, very minimal. But it was a very loving household, and this comes out in the book. And this is the thing I really want to emphasise is, is the human, the humanised. eyes, we, we must humanize more. We must love each other more. We must reject cruelty in particular. Uh, and when I see, uh, I'm not gonna go to cases now, but where the police act uh, badly towards an individual, knock him around in the police station or elsewhere, or allow him to be in a cage where he, he needs medical uh, attention and doesn't get it. All those sort of things make me so angry. And uh, we've got to get a different perspective in the police force, Uh, as they have in Holland. I spent a bit of time in Holland. Uh, They're there to help people, and they do that largely. I mean, I'm I'm very pro-police. They do a great job. But there is that element there that's got a bit of arrogance and a bit of cruelty and neglect and lack of care, and we've got to remedy that right from the top. And we've had some very bad buggers at the top in my day. I could name them. You probably could name them too. Uh, we've we've got to have an attitude the police are there to help people uh, and particularly people in distress, people at the bottom of the barrel and also we've got to do something about keeping people in cages too, claustrophobia and so forth. There's a lot of progress to be made and I I just wish that I was young again to do it but quite frankly I'm mainly half a man now. (laughs) Do you concede though that Things may
1: have improved in terms of the behaviour of the police, the, the behaviour of the courts. Because I was quite shocked reading some of the judges' comments in mm-hmm. those early days, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how hard and how cruel they were. Exactly.
0: Well, I'm afraid there is a cruel element in, in, the, in the English, uh, you know. We, our, our heritage isn't all that kind. There have been some terrible things that have gone on. But we must be positive, and I'm still Positive. Uh, We need to purge our jails of all people that don't need to be locked up. We need halfway houses where people who are eligible for bail or eligible for parole get it. We've got to spend some money, as other countries do, like England and Scotland. They have these places where people can go and be subject to some discipline, but be free during the day to work and so forth. There is so much scope, and uh, I hope things are going in that direction, but... uh, Certainly not there yet. One of the
1: stories in the book illustrates the sort of savagery, I suppose, of the police in that day. It was the story of the chap who was drinking in the pub. Yeah. He knew the clocks in the pub were ten minutes fast, That's and he right. was entitled to be able to drink until yep. quarter past six or whatever yep. it was back in the yep. days of six o'clock closing, and the cops arrested him for drinking.
0: Exactly. Exactly. it <clears throat> well, illustrates it. Yep.
1: Yeah. He then went, it, he, he refused to just pay the five pound fine because he thought he was right. He stayed yeah. there overnight. He saw the police beating up someone outside the cell. He yelled at the cops to stop and they punched him through yep. what's called That's the right. Judas Hole. The Judas the Hole, yep. You took the jury down. You got the jury to go down. To look yeah, at well, I site.
0: didn't actually. It was the prosecution applied to the judge. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> A bad mistake on their part. That's right. Juries are strange, aren't they? And, 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 and where they have get the chance to actually physically see and touch uh, the evidence, it changes their mind, doesn't it? Or at least probably yeah, your case.
0: I, I mean, juries vary, and, but it's still... The jury system has a lot of faults. There are people who get on juries who can hardly speak English. Uh, there have been cases of people on jury who have been deaf. I mean, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of scope for improvement, and some would say that there should be... Uh, some type of minimal educational qualification or at least some sort of language ability. I mean, uh, and there's not enough research done by the defence often on on the jury. Um, It it, it is the best system, I think, that the human race has evolved. But uh, it certainly needs sophistication. You went through, you you talked about you used to go through the jury lists to actually try and
1: ascertain who these people were, what exactly. their connections were, what, yep. what did you find over those years? Did it, did well,
0: we often found, you see, that people were married to, you know, to people who shouldn't be on the jury and gave them access to information that the jury shouldn't have. Uh, and it was a very tedious. We used the electoral rolls to go through. It was quite a big job yeah. and very tedious. But um, I don't think enough research goes in to make sure that there's no... Uh, I'm not talking about corruption so much, but people who perhaps have inside knowledge uh, getting on juries. And uh, I do think we need people on juries who who can speak English and uh, also have a certain degree of intelligence.
1: I wonder if it's too easy to get off jury duty these days here in New Zealand that too many people say, I can't do it for whatever reason, and so you don't get a fair or equitable mix.
0: Oh I think you're absolutely right I mean people particularly at trial It's going to go a few weeks or something I mean people don't want to be on juries And they're often the people who should be on juries uh, There's no doubt No doubt at all I think that there needs to be A, a further inquiry into, into the jury system And a, and a further sophistication of it and The main thing is fairness Fairness, 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 fairness That's the main thing we're not asking for any benefit or anything, but people should get a fair trial. There should be no element at all that's, um, that's against them, uh, prejudice.
1: Yeah. You had a particular way of dealing with juries, didn't you, in the sense that w- w- your courtroom behaviour, you never really raised your voice, I think you said.
0: No, I th- I, you don't want the jury to think that that bloody lawyer's making more money than we are, <laughs> and he's a smart-ass little prick. <laughs> Um, and that does happen from time to time. You know, lawyers can be like little peacocks. They put on all their gear and stride around. Think no. they're the bloody uh, answer to, you know, uh, cut bread. But anyway.
1: Yeah. There was that jury um, in the uh, Simon Dodd's case. The fa- he was a farmer and yeah. he, he had a series of trials in the end, didn't mm. he, for his, uh, possession of cannabis. Um, but when the jury came back with what the foreman said was a guilty verdict... yeah. You called for a polling of that jury. Was that instinct, was that gut, was that...
0: Well, as a matter of fact, there's something today reminiscent of it because I'd seen it on American television with Ironside. You remember Ironside? (laughs) 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 He'd done it. (laughs) He never lost a case, of course, on television. (laughs) And I was so angry within myself and hearing people chuckling and going on and... And uh, I just couldn't think of, of any way of remedying what I thought was a gross uh, miscarriage of justice. So something whirled inside me, I suppose. Might be that bloody Irish, I suppose. I think it's the Irish. The <laughs> <A> fighting Irish. <laughs> so I um, applied to the judge, who happened to be a very good judge, very fair judge, uh, if we could poll the jury. The foreman said, of course, guilty, and he said, they all agreed, he said, it's guilty. But when the registrar asked the two ladies sitting next, no, they said they had doubts. So, of course, the uh, trial was aborted, and the next trial we won. And the next trial, which was the third trial, I had, um, what's his name, that he became a magistrate, um, uh, as junior, uh, I should think of his name. At any rate, uh, we had a bit of a party, and um, he danced. he danced an Irish jig, and as he danced, he composed he composed uh, the ode, the ode to Simon Dodd. <laughs> and he sang it as he danced. <laughs>
1: that was the first time and only time I think anyone ever polled a jury in New Zealand. It's the only time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had no precedent. or, or I mean, it obviously was legal to do it. That, but then suddenly... It's gone now, Yeah. After the, uh, what that was the Chief Justice or someone ruled, did they? Exactly. That yeah. you couldn't do it? Absolutely. absolutely yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a very great shame, in fact. Yeah. But which, while we're talking about juries, um, there is another case that you talk about there, the jurors who use sledgehammers on the log haulers. Yeah,
0: well, there you are. That's uh, the, um, we had, it's quite a story there and also illustrates the, the benefit of an open prison—that was the National Park Prison in the middle of the North Island, where prisoners could stroll around, uh, and uh, they had their, lived in huts and had their own keys and things. And they had a very progressive woman manager, a very good woman. But at any rate, they found this um, this mill, this disused mill that was covered in canvas and grease and stuff, and they came. At any rate, uh, someone came back. <laughs> and uh, broke it up and sold it for scrap metal and we had this trial uh, and uh, things weren't going too well and uh, then we we decided to use this defense of impossibility because the caretaker has said they'd broken it up with sledgehammers. so the jury were supplied with sledgehammers on our application uh, and uh, and uh, they couldn't break it up.
1: Let loose on the log haulers. I must point out, the two defendants were called Frank
0: the Tank yeah. and Too Fat. That's right. Uh, I think that, that describes them quite well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, they, I mean, part of the thing with being a criminal lawyer is you deal with, from time to time, criminals as well. I mean,
0: Absolutely, yeah. But you also
1: dealt with a lot of almost hard well, heartbreaking cases here of people who absolutely. didn't commit the crime but not yeah. necessarily in the way in which it was portrayed by the police. Yeah. Is that, absolutely right. Why, how does that happen? I mean are the police deliberately
0: um, cruel or, or is it just the way
1: life works? Well I think
0: one of the stories uh, the, uh, she killed her child. Uh, it was a baby wasn't it? Yeah she lived in a corridor of a house uh, you could see the daylight coming through the roof uh, her companion or husband or whoever he was was a drunkard he, he would come in late at night and throw coins around she had to get on her hands and knees to get a few bob to buy bread next day uh, and uh, th- there was just no uh, facilities at all just lived in a corridor with a few blankets and, and uh, she became uh, really for a certain period of time mentally ill and
1: Oh, back on again <laughs> all right how did you find out that she had that mental issue because uh, i mean no one else had she was charged with murder wasn't she Not she was charged
0: with murder uh, she should have been charged with infanticide uh, because she had reduced responsibility when i when i went to see her in the jail and i think i took kevin ryan or chris reed or somebody with me one of my mates Uh, she was completely distressed I couldn't discuss the case with her all she could do was cry she was absolutely just out of her mind Uh, she had no makeup her hair everywhere and just crying and the matron of the uh, jail was so sympathetic towards her and said there's anything we can do to help we will that uh, she was just absolutely distraught and luckily in those days well no doubt today as well uh, we have psychiatrists you could engage, and I engaged Dr Laurie Glackman, who's unfortunately deceased now, one of the great psychiatrists, and he made the diagnosis uh, that she had been uh, suffering for a period of time. Uh, uh, temporary type of insanity, really. Mm. See, the
1: interesting thing I find, in that, though, is it was in court when you were talking to, was it the police doctor, the, medic- the police medical expert, that came out, uh, that she had this illness. Yet the police had been told, or should have realised this, and never had it in the evidence. You're absolutely
0: right. There were uh, physical signs that were indicative of this condition. Uh, Uh, And uh, the police doctor had told the police about these, but they had omitted it from uh, his brief. Uh, But on cross-examination, the police doctor readily agreed he'd seen the signs. And the, the judge, who was just man yes. one of the great judges of all time in this country i might tell you wonderful person uh, got very very angry and uh he, um, he he virtually stopped the trial and released her on probation hmm. and he said probation is not to punish you Pr- probation is to help you help you find a decent place to live help you get some assistance and medical assistance and help with your children and and uh, some some relief with clothing and stuff. He made sure that she was taken care of. Yeah. See, that's... You know, to, to have that come out in court and to realise that the
1: Crown prosecutor must have known and, and suppressed it... Well,
0: you'd never know, you see, because one blames the other. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's standard practice, is it? Eh?
0: That's standard, standard well, practice. Well, I mean, things might have improved since my day. <laughs> but it was war in my day. War, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you, um, can we talk briefly what we, what we are talking about in the police I suppose there were some characters back in those days uh, John Rex Hughes oh, Chris oh, yeah. Huffin what's your impression of them looking back
0: well there was a lot of physical violence we didn't have videoing of statements in other words when a police officer was taking a statement and I'm talking about serious cases uh, there was no video going mm. so uh, if, you know if you've got a kick in the shins and Belt the suspect across the face a few times. Uh, That was sort of ordinary practice.
1: That's unacceptable today, I would have thought. Well, all more difficult because of the cameras and the recording
0: devices. (laughs) That's right. And uh, unfortunately, in any group of human beings, you'll always find the rotten egg, I suppose. Mm. And you you had uh, a few people there, like Hughes, uh, who unfortunately uh, was given to violence. Yes. He. um
1: yeah, he's, he's a character who turns up again and again in cases yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Accused yeah. of um,
0: he's safely dead at the moment so we yeah. can defame him. But, um, I've taken, I've taken the opportunity in that book too to explain the, the genesis of the Thomas case explain uh, just exactly how the planting took place and how it was engineered And I, I think I've given a new aspect there and made it very very clear and I've also I think perhaps in a different sort of case altogether I've The case of William O'Neill is in that that book, and I think that's probably one of the most important cases. William O'Neill was burnt to death in his cell. Uh, There was a deliberate conspiracy to allow him to do that. And the the details of that terrible agony and the the very near death of 30 others in D-Block is all uh, described very clearly in the book. And if any of you, and I know many of you are, God bless you all, uh, interested in penology to allow a man uh, to uh, virtually be barbecued in his own cell uh, as, as it happened. Uh, that is a very, very important story, and I'm, I'm very pleased it's there.
1: Because you thwarted the police so often over the years, and, and their various attempts to prosecute some of your defendants, do you think they ever targeted you? The police did target you? To try oh, I'd say, and
0: get so. to... I'd say so, I'd say so, I'd say so. I had a police officer come up to me once and said, remember, Williams, we can get anyone we want if we want to. You know, you've got threats. And I can remember one case of depositions being uh, shoulder-jolted by a cop who, who became enraged in a certain case. I mean, there was a lot of enmity there, and uh, particularly after the Thomas case, because... Um, there are a lot of police who who, who still believed in Hutton. Uh, and they despised anybody who supported um, Arthur Allen Thomas. And for a long time there was that division. Hopefully now that's all gone. But the Thomas case will live on as the icon. Uh, the icon of police corruption. And we must never, never forget uh, that there is always that possibility of, of police corruption.
1: There was... If I remember, with the Stuart Royal Commission on Drugs, an attempt by perhaps their investigators to um, try and get something on you. Um, do you. Do you recall that?
0: Oh, yeah, well, Stuart came over. He was a little weed, actually. <laughs> um, if I had my way now, I would have given him a good kick in a place I can't mention. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I weathered all those storms. I've had a lot of storms, ups and downs, and storms. Yes, yes. And, uh, <laughs> Here I am today. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, not all of your defendants though were um, innocent or badly charged. I'm thinking here particularly of um, Terence John Clark, who was so yeah, well instrumental in the, the, the Mr. The Asia Clark
0: case is, is quite unique. The way there, he, he was going to blow up the wall of the, of the courthouse. I'll never know to this day whether, in fact, dynamite was actually uh, put there.
1: This is, this is, by the way, to explain, they're waiting for the
0: jury to come back and to hear the
1: verdict and you go down to the cells that's to talk right. to them.
0: Two and, in the morning, yeah.
1: And he said, if, if I'm guilty, <laughs> we'll blow the wall of the, of the yeah, that's court right. out so he could escape. Yeah.
0: I went down, I was tired, one or two in the morning and going. I said to the warder, I want to see Clark. Clark was there, very unusual guy, Clark, unusual eyes, unusual aspect. Uh, there was something a little bit creepy about him, actually. But uh, at any rate, um, we sat down, he, another guy in the cell got rid of him, and uh, we talked to him, he said, well, what do you reckon, Peter? What's the verdict going to be? Oh, I said, I think we're going to get off. I said, there's a bit of um, malpractice there by the DSIR. We've exposed that, and I think that'll worry them. Oh, he said, at any rate, I don't care. What do you mean? I said, you don't care. I said, you'll get a good six years for this at least, heroin. Oh, he said, uh, we've got the wall here dynamited. He said, it's guilty we're going to blow the bloody thing up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a slight ethical issue for you at that
0: point, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. Do you tell the court they're about to have their wall blown up? That's right. Yeah, well you're supposed to, if you're a lawyer in a case, you're supposed to tell the judge anything that's really underward. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a dilemma. <laughs> Luckily the jury
1: came back in the decade. That's right,
0: the jury came back with a not guilty. Thank God for that. <laughs> I don't know whether you should thank God because he went on to murder a few people. <laughs> How do you defend people who <laughs> you really know are guilty,
1: or at least...
0: Uh, oh, we not. have the answer to that. I mean, that's a perennial question. And uh, first of all, we can always plead guilty. And secondly, we don't uh, lead perjury if we believe that they're guilty and we don't put them in the witness box. And we just uh, we make the prosecution test their case. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we certainly would never call a witness that we thought was telling lies. Yes. Hmm. You touched on it a second or two ago I suppose with
1: with what you said about uh, Terence Clark Um, Did you ever regret getting someone off if you know what I mean Did you ever think oh I've put them back Only when they didn't pay me (laughs) (laughs)
0: There's a story about that too in the book (laughs) Fair enough too
1: Who who in the law these days or, or perhaps no who, during the course of your legal career, did you admire? You mean in the judges? Mm, judges, other lawyers? Oh, I, possibly I, a prosecutor uh, or something? I spent
0: think? several years uh, in working in the courts, uh, and I got to know Mick Robinson, Dickie Singer, and uh, Jimmy Dixon, and Ozzie Bramwell and all those lawyers, all hard cases. And, but they were wonderful people, and I loved the lawyers, I loved the I love the criminal lawyers, and there's something about a good criminal lawyer. He's the best company in the world, or well, she. Uh, you can't beat a good criminal lawyer for good company. <laughs> <laughs> full of full of full of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There was a time in Wellington, anyway, where the lawyers would um, uh, happily wander over to the pub next door. Oh, absolutely. While waiting for it while waiting. Bungay wedding. and, go, yeah, Bungay yeah. and uh, Michael Bungay. I'll tell you a
0: story about Bungay. I, I used to have lunch with him when I was in Wellington. He was a bloody character, I tell you. He would eat six pies for lunch. I never only he'd like it. At any rate, we, he had some guy, and you know, he was in the courtroom, and I, the, the, the defendant came up through the trap door with just his head and shoulders, you know. These trapdoors would go down and call out, call out to him, um, Bungay or whatever his name is, Bungay, Bungay. And Bungay never turned to here, never, never went over at all. And uh, I said, um, "Oh, bugger him!" He said, "We're going to go and have lunch." <laughs> <laughs> he
1: gave me some. He gave me some good advice one day. Uh, What's Mike Bungay? He, he said, "If you ever stab someone, stab them once or a yeah. hundred times." That's right. <laughs> I presume, because once you could say an accident, the hundred times you were in a frenzy.
0: Yeah, well, that's a provocation, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great um, tragedy when we abolished provocation. It should never have been abolished. It gave juries a chance to participate in the uh, sentencing process, uh, and it gave the judge a, a reason for a substantial less uh, penalty. But wasn't the argument there that the defence of provocation... Often
1: ended in the victim being re-victimised If you like, that they yeah, well, they
0: say that. I, I never saw the evidence of that. But uh, there's there's one story about provocation about the old man, who went to prison, who um, who killed his partner, chopped the head off, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's that's an example of a successful application of provocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's quite a good story with a good message, because it's one of the few cases where. I went to see him at the prison, so it must have been a couple of years later. Uh, he was in his 80s, I think, at that stage. And I said to the ward, I want to see Joe Brown. Oh, he said, you haven't made an appointment. He said, no, you can't see him. He said, we're going to arrange guards and things. So I said, you mean to say an 80 year old's going to run away from you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this chap, by the way, the, um, uh, the chap he's talking about, picked up a woman outside, was it King's Seat Mental Hospital? Yeah. Um, he, he was well, well advanced He was a bachelor Lived down down country um, mm. Mm. He picked her up She had nowhere to go He said I'll oh, come and stay with me And she was very pleasant to begin with But exactly. then turned into What would you describe Well her, her? Be-
0: behaviour became shocking She'd spend several nights She wouldn't come home and all the rest of it yeah. She used to throw off at him all the time And uh, they ate They had those sort of Chairs you have when you feed infants. They have one of those each, you know. They'd sit down at night.
1: With a little tray on little the front for dinner.
0: And uh, he would say to her, where have you been? You've been away for two or three days. Where have you been? Oh, you old fogey, she'd say. I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? And, and this was the woman that he befriended and so forth. And uh, he got angry one night and he said, look. He said, I'm getting very, very angry. He said, I have a good mind to go and get the axe and chop your bloody head off. Ah, <laughs> oh, She said, you wouldn't have the bloody strength, you old codder. She said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know how to do it. She said, you're just useless. She said, you're just useless. He got so annoyed, he went outside to the wood heap and got the axe and came in and chopped the head off. <laughs>
1: Do you pay attention to that story here? (laughs) (laughs) You never know, you never know. (laughs) The the title of the book that you've got here, The Dwarf Who Moved, Mm -hmm. which I think is a fantastic title. Tell us about that case, because it it was
0: truly remarkable. It was a truly remarkable case. Well, he was a dwarf, um, Jasper, just a little fellow, but highly intelligent. People used to consult him about all sorts of things. Uh, and he had an adult I mean, a full size <laughs> wife, if I can use that expression <laughs> but um, they, he, he was a circus performer and he would stand on a pole 100 feet up at least to show on his head and all those sorts of things he was a remarkable guy and very popular and uh, at any rate uh, bloody brains going on in there what's left of it um, ah uh, oh, that's right they had this pavilion and uh, she used to his wife used to shoot a cigarette out of his mouth It was a you paid to go and see that with a 22 rifle wasn't it 22 rifle <laughs> yeah that's right anyway one night she uh, shot him in the head <laughs> <laughs> and uh but he didn't <laughs> die and she got charged with attempted murder and uh because she was bonking someone, wasn't she? In the third, she, she was. The police investigated and found that she was having an adulterous affair. Mm. Yeah, and that was
1: that. That went motive on her part. To, exactly. To shoot right. the dwarf guy. Absolutely. In the head. the
0: um, you were representing her. Oh, I was involved in the case, and mm. I won't tell you particularly how. <laughs> there are many, many paths in the law. I okay. get. <laughs> But the crucial moment
1: came when the dwarf, who survived by the way, uh, um, was called to the stand and was asked,
0: did you move? Yeah, he was called to the stand and of course the place was pretty packed, number one court up there in the Supreme Court. And his head hardly came level to the top of the witness stand, he was very, very small. But there was something very intelligent about him. At any rate, the prosecutor said, you know, you stood there, yes. And uh, your wife had been doing this for some time, yes, never had any problem before, no. And of course, you didn't move. Silence. Yes, I did move. What? <laughs> the judge said, but you've made a statement to say that you didn't move. I moved, he said. Well, why are you saying that now? Because it's true, he said, I did move. So, at any rate, as a result of that, she was dismissed. And round the foyer there, those of you who know the old Supreme Court or High Court up here, the family were waiting. There were two or three daughters, and I think there was a son. They were waiting there, and she went down below and got her goods and bits and pieces and came up and rushed over to him and said, Oh, I'm so grateful to you. You've saved me. Get away, you bitch, she said. <laughs> I'll never speak to you again, nor your family. You'll never know your family again. Now, bugger off.
1: yet he did the decent thing on her behalf didn't he by saying I I did move yeah
0: you met him years later I did I met him years later he lived on a catamaran at Lee for a while and they put a bit of a dinner on for me and I went out there and uh, they treated me very well he showed me a scrapbook He'd, he'd been a circus performer in Russia and Lion Tamer, and God, you name it, he'd been it. He was a great little fellow. He's dead now. I was very, very fond of him, very fond of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he'd acquired a little a little mistress. <laughs> 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 a sweet little thing, yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Okay. Yeah, you talked there about being on a boat and sailing. I mean, sailing has been a huge part of your life, including sailing up to at Atoll during the French nuclear testing.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's a long story, but I, got, I had a boat for f- 14 years. I think called for Dallas. We did all the ocean races. Yeah. We went to Moora, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when Paul Henry came with me, and that's how we became great friends. Yeah. So you're to blame for Paul Henry, basically. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the name? <laughs> Tell us about...
1: I mean, you worked for so long with the Howard League for um, prison. 30 years I was president, yeah. there. What do you think of what's happening today? With Serco coming in to privately run prisons? We,
0: and I'm talking about the real Howard League, which is in our some here tonight. We, we opposed any injustice and we spoke out, uh, and none of us received any remuneration. It was the real Howard League. And we oppose, well, going back over the years, all sorts of things hanging. And and, uh, it's it's got a great history. Uh, By some somewhat devious means, uh, when I was ill, uh, a different type of person took over. Uh, The Howard League today uh, is totally different. And uh, they concentrate on, on reading and writing. And it's very, very sad because there's a great need for independence, not... You, uh, I saw on the show the other night about the uh, life-saving um, club yeah. in New Zealand. They are independent. They don't get any grant, but they're independent. That gives them freedom. And that's what the old Howard League was like. We would. There's no way that anyone would accept remuneration. Yeah. But now, of course, they pay themselves and all that crap. And uh, It's actually quite... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to think about it anymore. It makes me too angry. Get on to something else.
1: <laughs> well, talk about prisons in general, because 25 years ago, I think I went through Mount Eden Prison doing a story. And yeah. um, I, I was doing a story, I promise. And um, I was, I, it was the most depressing. It was like yeah. something out of Dickens. Absolutely. There today, you look out to um, um, Auckland South Prison at Worry, which they've just mm-hmm. built... Prisons have their own units. They yeah. have televisions, phones... Yeah. I mean, there has been some improvement.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about it that the modern jail is, is a far, is, is far more advanced place. But this, we're still locking people up more than we need to. We're, we're one of the top in the world of locking <coughs> people up. We've got lock-up-itis lock in this country. And to detain to, to a person uh, in a small cage... Uh, it's it's uh, claustrophobic and, and not give them any uh, encouragement to rehabilitate. is absolutely dreadful, and there still is a lot of scope. And there are a lot of people in prison today who don't need to be in prison. This is the whole thing, and we need halfway houses uh, where they can go out and work during the day and support their families, or whatever it is. You know, it's a very complicated thing, but there's tremendous scope there and uh, for improvement.
1: You talked about rehabilitate there. Um, The Sensible Sentencing Trust wouldn't agree with you. And I know in the book, you don't seem to be very fond of them.
0: No. Oh, well, I I won't use the appropriate words because (laughs) we're at a public meeting. (laughs) (laughs) What do
1: you think motivates people to want to punish and, and, and cause grief to prisoners, if you know what I mean I can understand mocking mm. them up because they're a danger I can understand the wanting to rehabilitate them, but to want to inflict if you like pain on them, it is very hard yeah, to understand. Well, it's,
0: it's been there for a long time, you study the history of punishment and enormously cruel things have happened in the name of the law and uh, I mean, what you say is quite right there's an animal that lurks inside of all of us and if, we're not, if we don't control it, it'll Kill or maim or bring about um, cruel punishment. There's no doubt that it's something that we have to actively suppress. Indeed, indeed.
1: What do you think uh, these days of um, your former, well, your colleagues, the new generation of lawyers coming in, most of whom didn't, wouldn't tend to take the criminal law path? I mean, do you see much of them these days?
0: Do you no, I don't really. To be quite frank. I have my old mates that come round now and again, <laughs> and um, you know we have a bit of Chinese food and stuff, and we laugh about the old days. But um, I haven't been active in the courts now for a couple of years at least, maybe longer. So I'm really out of touch. I can't comment on that. Oh, fair enough. Yeah.
1: There was a peon and praise in here for Winston Peters, though, an old mate of yours.
0: Yeah, well, Winston Peters has been very loyal to me, and uh, I did the case. Oh, the, the wine box. Um, there's a chapter there on the wine box, and you, when you read that, you realise how he was victimised and what a whitewashed decision that was in that case. And uh, he, he he fought against the, the the tyranny of the plutocracy, and he almost did it single-handed. And I think the public should know about it. And I, I hope, at any rate, it's, it's 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 written with clarity in the in in this book here. And also, uh, I did the, um, what's that thing in the Parliament? Privileges Committee. Privileges Committee. committee. And again, uh, you know, it's supposed to be the highest court in the land, but it's just so biased, and I told them so, and quoted Because you were
1: trying to represent Peters, weren't you? In that case, it was the Owen Glenn case, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, again, the facts of that are set out in the book, if people are interested in that. Uh, and again, uh, uh, he was completely um, wrongly charged, and uh, really? it was a, a shocking um, debacle, really, and it uh, makes you wonder about that particular so-called quasi-court, or whatever you like to call it, whether it's uh, got any significance.
1: Well, it's supposed to be one of the highest courts in the land in exactly. the same way. which that's is- right. And yeah. it's incredibly politically partisan otherwise. absolutely, that's the point yeah. talking yeah. about the, the politically partisan
0: you've taken quite a strong stance on in Fiji um, yeah well we did before the sort of um, elections, we haven't done much since then but there's quite a dramatic uh, chapter there about a case we did for a man over there uh, and uh, how we um, we broke him out of hospital really yeah, was, that was Balu Khan was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there, was, we, there was a police chase and all the yeah. rest of it. Yeah. It's quite an exciting little chapter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be out there and to be pursued by the Fijian military would exactly. not be good. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, when you look at Bainimarama's claims to have taken it back into being yeah. a, a democracy again, do you believe
0: him? No. <laughs> short, sharp answer.
1: Yeah. What do you do about something like Fiji, do you think? What should New Zealand be doing that it's not doing?
0: I I think we should be more critical. I mean, Fiji is a very close neighbour, and if we find that there are uh, aberrations or atrocities going on, people being bashed around, uh, it should be given publicity. uh, And uh, we should watch developments there very, very closely. It's a beautiful country, and it's a lovely country, and but there's a lot of poverty there, and a lot of things going on which um, uh, perhaps need investigation. Yeah, indeed. Peter Williams,
1: Sir Peter Williams, Q.C. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hope you have enjoyed listening to this podcast from the 2015 Auckland Writers' Festival. You can find a range of other talks, interviews, and discussions on iTunes or on our website writersfestival.co.nz.